This is a production from the Yak Podcasting Network. The home for your growing sonic map of local voices united in their commitment to the best in podcasting. Hello and welcome everyone to From the Felt, brought to you by Texas Card House. My name is Ryan Crow, and I'm here along with Bill Hewer and Sam Von Kennel. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, Ryan. How's things in Austin, Texas today? Fantastic. Recording out of the uh, Texas Card House here in Austin. Uh, Sam, how are you? You're up in Choctaw, right? Yeah, we're living the dream in Durant, Oklahoma, playing the WSOP Choctaw Circuit. Got our first cash last night. We uh, played six events and bricked the first five, so it felt good. to get a, It was a medium cash, but we'll take it nonetheless. Heck yeah. How about you, Bill? You were in Vegas last week, weren't you? Yeah, went to Vegas for a conference for uh, people who own casino party companies and got to spend some time with some really good friends, did some gambling, did some partying, and uh, I'll be honest, I'm ready to go back. Had too much fun. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get back out there here pretty soon. Well, look, today, what I was hoping to do is I actually want to go back to a day that most people in Texas will know fairly well, and actually people across the country will probably have heard of it to some degree, uh, and that's uh, May Day, the day that the Houston... I don't know, Vice and DA and, and whatever groups there were, uh, essentially raided uh, Prime Social and Post Oak Social Club, uh, which, I mean, obviously, Bill, you had firsthand experience. And Sam, I think you've got a little story to tell as well. So what do you guys think about that? Let's jump into that. And I'd really like to hear kind of your perspective on what happened uh, on that uh, exciting day. <laughs> well, May 1st is not a day that I'm going to forget anytime soon. <laughs> uh, it started just about like any other day. Uh, I actually had a bunch of meetings set up that day. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, sorry to interrupt, but it wasn't that, the, that was the day after the House Bill 2669 actually uh, went in, in front of the committee. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. I came out to Austin and uh, came to sit in on that hearing. I uh, woke up really early that morning to head to Austin and noticed there was water underneath the floorboards in my closet next to my master bathroom. So uh, I had water basically leaking from all over the place and had to get that so while I was making that drive back and forth to Austin, I had set up uh, insurance adjusters to come out and take a look and start getting repairs done. So besides that, I had a, a lunch date with uh, uh, my ex-girlfriend's son at his school, and I had an action-packed day planned. And it all started with me leaving the house, uh, driving right outside my neighborhood. No more than a, a minute after I get outside my neighborhood, an unmarked car rolls up behind me and flashes its lights at me. So I pull over at the gas station thinking that oh, I must not have made a, a full and complete stop when I left the neighborhood, so I'm just going to get a ticket, and then I'll uh, pump my gas and be on my way. But I was approached by uh, two officers, and uh, they looked pretty serious. They said, are you William Hewer? And I said, uh, yes, I am. And they said, well, you're under arrest. And I literally said, for what? And I was in shock. And they said, for money laundering and organized crime. <laughs> and I said, I don't even know what money laundering is. Can you explain that? And they said, oh, you hear more about it when we, when we get downtown. Were these like just regular police officers? Were these like, um, like who were they? Were they, under, were they, were they wearing uniforms? Or? Yeah, they, were in, they were in uniform. They were sheriffs. Okay. Um, and so they, uh, they quickly handcuffed me, put me in the back of their car, and then started searching my car. They uh, wanted my cell phone. And they got that, and then they bagged it and uh, called a tow truck and I got to watch my car get towed away and, and then we continued uh, driving down to downtown which was uh, get a free ride. really unique experience first time anything like that's ever happened to me man that's crazy that's crazy so I mean you you didn't see this coming at all you just like like any other day you you, you pull out and boom yeah yeah it was a total shock total shock so I didn't get to call anybody 
I, I couldn't reschedule all my appointments. Obviously, there was a lot of people coming to my house that were looking for me um, to, to help fix the problems in my master bathroom. Uh, it, was, it was an awful day. How do you think it would have felt, Bill, if you would have known the officer or, or would have known any of the officers that pulled you over? Because I think, you know, in our clubs, we have a number of a handful of police officers. And we know, that, you know, they, they all are not straight, not shy about playing poker. <laughs> I think I think it would have been an interesting dynamic if, you know, you ended up knowing who it was as they're you know, saying, oh, shit, we got to take you downtown. Sorry, sorry Bill. <laughs> well, my, my first question after I asked them uh, what the heck money laundering was, was, do you play poker? And unfortunately, none of them played poker, so that pretty much ended that conversation. So, needless oh, to say, I had no outs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're drawing dead. Yeah. Well, so what happened then? They 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 take you downtown, or what? I mean, what? Yeah, they they took me to uh, what's what what they what I've been told is the new jail facility. And if that's the new jail facility, I would hate to see the old jail facility <laughs> because at least this one was fairly clean. Um, so they they take you in, they pat you down extra good to make sure you don't have anything on you. Uh, then they ask you to go around and, uh, and start doing the, the uh, they take your information, take your pictures, uh, and then you go upstairs into what's I could best describe as what looks like a giant bus stop waiting area. There's a bunch of people and a bunch of chairs and a very limited number of phones that you can make uh, free phone calls on. And so I, I sat there and, and, you know, the funny thing is about this day and age, I don't have a single phone number memorized except for one from my childhood that's been disconnected for probably two decades. So I'm thinking, who in the heck am I going to call? They won't obviously let me have access to my phone. So as I'm sitting there waiting, wondering what I'm going to do, I start seeing familiar faces walk in the door and it's all my partners from the uh, post poker club. And then shortly after that, I saw Dean Maddox and uh, his two managers walk in and we were all there in the same holding holding area, which one happy family. Yeah, one happy family. So, you guys should have started a game. You got <laughs> six or seven players, you can get a game going. Trust me, I did ask for a deck of cards. <laughs> I asked for a deck of cards. They didn't have any. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it was nice to see familiar faces, obviously. And then we had a lot to talk about. So to give you a timeline, this all took place about 10 a.m. Uh, on that on May the first. I got down to the booking area by about 1130 and that's when people started trickling in. So uh, on the 12 o'clock news had come on, I started figuring out what was going on, that it was a, you know, a big sting and that they were going after at least two clubs. And I was shocked that they didn't go after all of the clubs. I mean, we're, we're not the, we're not, we may be two of the well-known clubs, but we're not the only two clubs out there. So I was a little shocked that they only went after two clubs and not everybody. Um, but anyway, we started talking to uh, Dean Maddox and his guys and just kind of comparing notes on, you know, well, where'd they get you? How'd they get you? Why'd they get you? What'd they charge you with? And we deduced that, you know, we were all basically brought in on the same charges. No one got anything different. Um, and, uh, and then just started discussing, you know, what's, what's our game plan from there? Now, if you have never been to this type of facility, uh, how it works is you get to basically sit there and, and you're not in any sort of line or, or queue to wait your turn. It's whenever they get to you. <laughs> and they didn't get to us until the next morning where we actually got to meet with a public defender and discuss uh, going in front of the magistrate judge to hear what our bond would be. So during that time. So uh, this is the next day. You, you've been there. I mean, you, 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 you spent the night there. Yeah, and there's nowhere to sleep. These are all chairs. You can't fall asleep because you have to wait to hear your name called. And that could be get called at any minute. 
So you're, you're just con- you're just patiently waiting and you're, you're looking around at people and saying, Hey, was that guy here before me? Or did I come in after that guy? Who's next? But there, there's no rhyme or reason to when your name gets called. So, so you did not go to sleep that night. Oh no, no, I didn't wow. sleep okay. at all. At all. Is, is there any point in the night where you're starting to think like, I know you guys have worked with each other and you've known each other, but I, I, do you ever question any of them? Like, wait, wait, were one of them money laundering? One of these guys, you know, running a book or doing something? Do you were you ever starting to accuse each other at all? Any point? Not really. I think I think Post Oak was looking at Prime, going like, "Well, did you guys do something yeah, bad? Who's pointing fingers at him? Yeah, they do something bad, but I I know my team didn't do anything bad. I mean, we actually set our club up where none of the owners had access to the money. Like, there's there's no way for us to touch it. It would go from the player to the cage. And then our deposits would be handled by security. So we built that in. So we never had to worry about, well, did, did this owner take something he shouldn't have taken? Or did that owner do something? Well, you know, it was, it was kind of pre-thought out. Um, so I didn't have any doubt that anybody on our side of the fence had done anything wrong. And I, and I doubt Prime did anything either. I mean, these are legitimate businesses and nobody wanted to do anything at all that would jeopardize those legitimate businesses. And to be clear, I mean, we're, we're recording this and news has come out in the last week that all the charges have been dropped. And, and we'll get to that in, in, in our next podcast. But, but to be fair, we know at this stage, at least we think we know that Prime didn't do anything either, correct? I mean, they were operating the same way y'all were. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's, I just want to make sure we clarify that because uh, my understanding is Post Oak and Prime were both operating clubs the way, I mean, we believe the way they were supposed to. And, and these charges were not stemming from them doing some crazy money laundering schemes behind, the, behind their back. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Okay. So continue on. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, that's okay. So, you know, you get in, get in there at 10 a.m. and I hadn't eaten breakfast. And uh, one thing that I learned while I was in there is there's two meal servings a day. The first one's at 3 p.m. and the second one's at 3 a.m. And they both consist of the same thing, which is four slices of bread, two pieces of mystery meat, and two cookies. So when I got my bag, I, I looked at the, the food and I said, uh, I told the guy, I'll, I'll pass. I'm going to order a pizza later. And uh, they all laughed about that. But when later came at 3 a.m., I was so hungry that I was ready to fight people for my uh, bologna sandwich. <laughs> so they never brought the pizza, huh? No, no pizza never came. And I'm disappointed in Domino's for that. Apparently they don't deliver to jail. <laughs> yeah. Neither does Grubhub. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the next day we finally got to see the magistrate judge. And, and that was, uh, again, newsworthy information that they put all over uh, Channel 13 where we got to stand in front of the magistrate judge and talk about our bond. Now, unfortunately, uh, we get hit with a $50,000 bond, which means, you know, we've got to come out of pocket 5,000. Sounds like chump change for, uh, for organized crime boss like yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, since we're not that, we don't have that kind of money just laying around, but we had a good lawyer that helped us take care of it. And how was that $50,000 seems, I mean, it seems extremely high. I mean, they must've really thought you guys were, or something else. I mean, I mean, that's, that's serious money. Yeah, it really was serious money. And I, I don't, I don't understand why we got uh, such special treatment regarding the bond, but we, we uh, definitely didn't get any favors done. That's for sure. Uh, they just enjoyed your company, I guess. Yeah. So uh, after magistrate judge gives us our bond, uh, this is about noon on Friday or noon. I'm sorry, noon on Thursday, we get to uh, wait some more. And then finally they say, okay, you know, you guys aren't getting out of here till late that night. So you're going to have to go to a holding tank, which is, you know, just like you see on TV. It's a big room with a lot of other people. 
uh, you get to go down and, and they strip you down, make sure you don't have anything, uh, any weapons on you, any drugs, put you in an orange jumpsuit, and then you head up to the pod where, you know, you meet uh, 20 or 30 other guys that are all kind of in the same boat you're in. Wow. So you got the attire and everything, the orange jumpsuit. I mean, I'd love yeah. to see a picture of that. <laughs> no, no, it was awful. Can we put that up as your picture on the, on the podcast? Like I mean, you've, done, you've done serious time if you've worn that thing, right? I mean, <laughs> well, luckily I only had to be in that thing for an hour. Oh, yeah. So I literally, they, they, they march us up there. We go in there and they had beds and, and believe me, I was happy to see a bed cause I was already really tired and I just wanted to rest to, to gather my thoughts, to get ready for what I had to do when I got out. And so I, I, you know, got my, my pillow and blanket laid down on my bed. And I think I laid down for 10 minutes before they said dinner time. Now by now I'm super starving cause I really didn't eat much of that second round of bologna sandwich. But dinner wasn't anything to uh, to be impressed with either. In fact, I, I remember it was a franken beans, a little salad, and a piece of cornbread. And then there was this little packet of juice powder. I gave everything away but the cornbread, and took the juice powder and made a little uh, got a got a little cup and made a little Kool Aid juice with it. It was it was this, this it was pretty good. It was for, for what what I'd eaten so far. So cornbread and Kool Aid was. Uh, was my dinner that night and I uh, loved every morsel of it. So, so at this point you've been there for roughly 36 hours and, and, and then they just say, okay, here's your bond. You, you post it and you got out. I mean, what, what happened then? Well, no, after you get bond, yeah, you post it, they process it and then they take you back down. You get to put your clothes on, you sit in another waiting area for, and you wait for release. And that's, you know, the best part because you, you know, you're getting out soon. Um, and then I start watching the news and I see that the news vans are stationed right outside the back door of the jail. So I kind of figured this is all a big setup. You know, they, the, the powers that be called the news crews, had them waiting right out back, wanted to get us, you know, looking like we had not slept in 36 hours and had only eaten a piece of cornbread and a bologna sandwich and get us doing that old perp walk and make us look bad. You know, you make us look worse than they've already done where they spent the entire day, you know, rebroadcasting the same story over and over and over. But luckily, there was a really nice guy who was there at the jail to, to let us out that day. And he told us, he says, hey, you know, you guys have somebody waiting for you to the right of that door. If you dart out that door and jog right, the news won't be able to catch you. We'll sit here and wait until, uh, until they get back in their van. So that's what we did. We sat there, waited patiently. The news crew got tired of waiting in the sun. They jumped back in their van. And the second they did, we darted to our car and they didn't get any of us on camera. So big thank you to uh, that guy who helped us out. Oh, that's, that's very cool. Very cool of him. Uh, well, man, let's talk about like, like the fallout from it. Like, did you realize when that was going on when you're sitting there in jail, uh, you know, doing hard time with the, with the prime guys? Did y'all realize like how big of a news story this was going to be? Honestly, I didn't. Uh, we had made some phone calls and people were telling us that it had made national news, um, which shocked me. I mean, I was, uh, I was just in shock that something like this had made national news. But I actually had, it, as far as Florida, I had an aunt call me, you know, and she, she said she saw a video saying, hoping that it wasn't me and hoping everything was okay. And so, yeah, I know that it scoped as far as Miami Beach, Florida. So. Wow. Well, they they know better than to come after Mr. Von Kennel. Like, yeah, yeah, I said, I said yeah, we're we're still good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't I don't think Texas wants to declare war on on San Von Kennel. That just would not go over well. 
I actually had a, had a story, funny story about May Day. I, I was on the phone with Dan Kiebert when uh, Prime was getting raided. He called me and he said, I wanted you to know that you know something's going down in Houston and the cops are outside Prime right now. And at the time, Post Oak wasn't open yet for business. And he said, we don't know if we're going to open yet. I'm going to call some of my employees. I'm going to call some of my partners. And Real quickly, he says, hey, Sam, I got to go. And, you know, somebody's at the door. And then I found out a little bit later that that was actually the, you know, the same sheriff's department, the same guys who went and got Bill and, and the gang. And that was them rustling up Dan from, from his house. And so, you know, at this point, my phone is ringing off the hook. You know, I'm getting calls from everybody I know saying, have you heard, have you heard the news? And I'm starting to worry what's going down in Austin. You know, do I, should I show up to the office and go to, should I go to work today or should I, should I get on the run? <laughs> Partly kidding, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually want to dive into that, what you just said, Sam, like, like let's talk about the fallout from that. Uh, and, and really it's the time between um, when this all happened on May 1st and when the charges were dropped just uh, last week. Um, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about like what actually happened in Houston and then across the state and then just the perception nationally uh, of, of the state of Texas and what was going on. Because, you know, um, from my perspective, yeah, my phone was blowing up as well. Every club in the state was calling me saying, Hey, what's going on? You know, are, are, is, this, is this a statewide thing? Is this a local thing? And so let's just, let's just start in Houston. Like, like Bill, what, what would you say the fallout was or the effect of that was on both the social card club scene and the underground home game scene within Houston and, and how it affected uh, the dynamics of those two uh, industries, so to speak. Well, well, the underground scene and the uh, legal scene, I think, is, is is clearly a yin and a yang. When one takes to fall, the other rises. So that day, May 1st, the, the legal rooms definitely took a hit. And all of a sudden, underground rooms started popping up. My phone was ringing off the hook, not only for people who were showing me a lot of support, but also people who were looking to buy equipment because they were ready to, you know, get back in business, so to speak. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm a businessman. I'm going to sell them whatever they want. So I, I could see the writing on the wall. And I think on, you know, May 2nd or May 3rd, as people started to digest what had happened May 1st, they thought that all of these rooms were going to get closed down. They thought it was just a matter of time. And so, uh, you know, people thought the underground scene was now on the rise. And, and for the most part, over the last, what, 70, 80 days, uh, it has, you know, I mean, I've, I've sold nearly all the equipment that I had at Post Oak. And uh, I know several rooms that are just rocking and rolling right now that are underground rooms. And that's just kind of the way that the, the, the business model travels. Uh, what's going to be interesting to see is, you know, what's going to happen now that the, the charges have been dropped. I think that the pendulum is about to swing the other way. And that's, that's just how poker is right now in Houston. Yeah. And Sam, what about, what about just, across the state, like in Austin, I, mean, I know you play a lot in Austin, like they, did it have much of an effect there? I mean, what, what's your perception on how people took it? I mean, I know there was, um, you know, a lot of feedback that was coming in. What, what's your take on how that affected um, the Austin area? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the, the home game runners and some of the real loyal home game players all kind of got to pound their chests and get, and get to say, I told you so. And, and, you know, they all enjoyed that. But at the end of the day, in Austin at least, the home games didn't gain any more players than they already had because, you know, it wasn't like in a club in Austin got shut down. So the players in Austin weren't displaced. And so the the home game runners more just kind of 
enjoyed a little bit of what they thought was a long time coming and, and thought this would be, you know, one step to all, all the clubs closing down, which we've kind of found out now that's not the case, but then the other side of that was the players who play in the, in the clubs that they saw, they heard the news. They're calling me saying, are we safe to keep playing at these clubs? And, and of course I tell them, you know, everything that I know is yes, you can keep playing. And so I think the way the Austin club scene felt the most effect was like, for an example, at Texas card house, we have chip lockers and a you know, handful of players will store their chips on site so that they don't have to walk in and out every day with cash. And so they all decided that it'd be a pretty smart idea to come and empty out those lockers and make sure there's no money owed in case the club did get shut down. Like for example, prime, we all know that the day they got closed, they're about to host one of the biggest you know poker tournaments in the entire state. And they had already done pre-registers and sold early entries. And so they had a lot of money to be given back out to the winners, but then they didn't get to host the tournament. And so a lot of players are, are stuck, you know, wondering, am I going to get my buy-in back or, are we you know, just going to forfeit it or ever have this tournament in the future? You know, there's a lot of questions out there. Yeah. And I think that's one of the big concerns that players had. Like, Hey, if I'm in a room and I am cashed in, or if I have a chip locker that I'm storing chips in and you get raided, you know, what happens to my money? And, and, and that's just one of those things that, you know, it's, it's, it's tough for, for both the player and the game runners. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people feel that this needs to be, you know, a, a, a industry that's regulated uh, to where we have a clear set of rules that we don't have to worry about those types of things. I mean, unless they'll offer us rate insurance, which I don't, I don't think they do. Uh, uh, you know, it's just one of the things that we have to, it's a, it's a level of uncertainty that we have to work with. Um, and you're right. A lot of people pulled a lot of money out of the Texas card house, but it's all kind of come back in over the last uh, several weeks, even before the charges were dropped. And so the, the trust has definitely come back, but yeah, I mean, just to your point, it, it was pretty funny that all the calls I was getting were, more directed towards, Hey, let me make sure I get my money. You know, is my money safe versus, Hey, am I going to get in trouble for playing in this club? They didn't care about that. They knew all the players just got told, Hey, we'll walk out the door. They were just wanted to make sure is my money protected or not. Yeah. And so, <laughs> which is probably smart. You know, I told them, yeah, let's, let's, you know, figure this out. It's smart. Yeah. And I think from, from the Texas card houses perspective, you know, we actually opened in Houston after the race before the charges were dropped. And I think one of the, approaches you know that we took was i mean you know the the, the whole model was was a kind of brought to market by the texas card house and it's evolved a lot over the last several years um and i i feel very comfortable in saying that we probably spent more in attorneys and, and consulting with attorneys than probably every other club in the state combined over the last three or four years i mean well into the six figures times a few um and, and that models evolved quite a bit and i think one of the things that's some of the clubs struggle with is they, they, they mean well, and then they're trying to operate legally, but they would come and they look at an older version of our business model and our operating model, not understanding why some of the things were done. It's one of the things that, you know, the prosecution really honed in on was the seat fee, which we kind of struck from our vocabulary a long time ago, right? It's, it's you're getting access to the club, not to sit down at a table and play. And so I think that's an area that a lot of clubs struggle to understand the nuances and just how important that is from a legal perspective. Like you're not charging them to sit at a table, you're charging them to get into the club. And so it's little things like that, 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 that made us feel comfortable opening, knowing that we had a lot of um, legal firepower behind us, whether it be opinions and attorneys that could, could, could step in if something did happen. And so um, I think that we felt comfortable moving forward, but it was interesting to see, some clubs did shut down in Houston voluntarily, didn't they? And then and they may have reopened, but Bill, do you know, like, didn't a few clubs just close on their own after that happened? Yeah, there was a couple of clubs that just closed um, 
and, and kind of were debating and watching, figuring out what they're going to do next. Um, I know what I, I know Lions for sure was one that did not close. I actually went in there the very next day uh, because I wanted to, you know, talk to the owners, kind of give them an, an update of what happened to us and uh, just make sure that the poker public knew that, you know, we didn't do anything wrong. We have no reason to hide our heads. Um, and, you know, here we are to, to, to basically make that, uh, make that known. And so the, I, I could tell you for sure Lions was jumping that night. I was extremely jealous, but I was extremely happy for poker as a whole. I think it's interesting to point out on Lions, like, Bill, aren't they like literally less than a mile and a half away from Post Oak and Prime, where Prime and Post Oak used to be? I mean, it's in between them, right? It's in between them, yeah. So like, yeah, no wonder they they reaped huge rewards that day. I mean, I guess they took a risk in, you know, actually that is a real risk in, in opening up that day and, and continuing to open, knowing that your neighbors just got raided. But yeah, they you know, struck a gold mine during that day. It seemed like I called them and they were, they had wait lists full for days, which is great. Like that's, that's good for the community that the players are supportive of the business model. Like that's what they want at the end of the day is poker. And so I think, I think that's great. I, I'm extremely happy that they did stay open because it just shows that, you know, they believe in their heart of hearts that they're not doing anything wrong yes. either. That by the letter of the law, you know, we're all doing the right thing. And though not everybody understands it the way we understand it, or not everybody uh, uh, translates it the way we translate it, that's a conversation that needs to be had. And we could have had that conversation without having May 1st. Right. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting is, you know, people thought we were crazy for opening up because uh, spring is in Harris County, right? And so yeah. uh, we were essentially opening up in, in, in their backyard. And so uh, after these raids happened, so a lot of people thought we were crazy there, but I think, I think we felt pretty comfortable doing it. And what's interesting is we've had conversations, Sam and I, uh, as part of the social car clubs of Texas with a number of DAs. And we've, we've been able to sit down and have very um, frank conversations with them. Now they're, they're not allowed to tell us, I, I don't know if it's like a, a law or just a code or something, but they can't tell us, Hey, it's illegal or illegal. Like uh, that's not really their job. And I think if, if, if they have to prosecute us, they could, you know, if they tell us something it could be held against them. But the, the point is, is we've been able to sit down and have those conversations and say, look, here's how we're looking at the model. Here are some of the legal opinions that we've gotten. And we've had that conversation. And so the fact that they just came and raided y'all without having any of those conversations was very interesting from, from, from our perspective. And quite frankly, it was just, it was unbelievable. I mean, I actually spoke to um, a former DA writer it happened and they were just, they, they were, they couldn't believe it. And so, uh, and there were no indictments brought. Usually they would go get these beforehand. And so something yeah. smelled fishy from the get go, uh, at least for, for, from the people that I spoke to um, through the social car clubs of Texas and our, our, our advisors and our lobbyists and our attorneys to everyone, something just seemed off. Um, yeah. Y'all sure. get that perception as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there's, there's a lot of big questions lingering. One of them, just like you said, is why didn't they have these conversations? Why did they, why did they execute May 1st the way they did? Some, some other real questions that need to be answered is, you know, this investigation, according to the news, had been going on for two years. Uh, those who are in the inside know that neither club has even been open for two years. But, okay, let's say you've been investigating for two years. Why did you wait two years to raid the clubs? If, if, if someone else was doing another first-degree felony, murder, rape, kidnapping, whatever, would you wait two years to bust them? 
that's one big question I have uh, of why did they wait so long uh, on top of why didn't we have conversations about this rather than just going straight to the bust. Um, I think in our next podcast, when we talk about uh, some of the reasons why the case was dropped is going to make it clear why they waited or why it happened on May 1st, two years after the investigation had started. Yeah. And it's interesting because this exact scenario or something very similar played out in the Plano area. Um, and essentially they sent letters to all the clubs saying, Hey, shut down or else. And they all did. Now, one of the things we'll also talk about, I think next one is, did they really think you were laundering money? Did they really think you were organizing? Cause some of the people may have thought that, and that's just, I'm just kind of playing the devil's advocate there. They may have actually thought that someone who doesn't understand the industry, who doesn't understand how the cards work, uh, card clubs work. Uh, they walk in, they see all this money floating around. They don't understand. That's the player's money. You're not taking all that in. You're not taking money off the table. If they don't have a full understanding of it, they, they may have actually thought that. And that's something we can dive into next time. But I, I really thought it was interesting that they could have also just sent a letter like they did in, in the Dallas area and all those clubs did shut down. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I think they did, but I think for Houston and for Austin, it's a little different at this point because we'd already received what we would say is permission to do what we were doing. We'd received opinion letters from uh, city attorneys. We had received video statements from vice and HPD. Um, we had done our due diligence. We'd even talked to city councilmen and they said, you know, now don't really like the idea of you do it on post Oak, go put it over on Westheimer or Richmond. But the fact is there were a lot of conversations had to get us to where we were. We didn't just go out one day and say, Hey, let's copy Austin and open up a poker club in, in Houston. We did a lot of research on the topic. So if a letter had been sent after the fact, you know, we would have had the conversation. Well, We've got letters too. And then that would have been a whole different conversation. We, we couldn't have just closed at that time. There had been too much money, too much manpower put into what we had created. So, you know, really what should have happened is conversations. We, we, should, have, uh, we should have talked this out and, and come up with a solution. Yeah, I think what we saw in Dallas and, and Collin County was more just a, a matter of those clubs got served their letters while the clubs were still kind of in the infancy stages and, and young and, and going through the growing pains and struggling. So sending a, you know, a mass letter was, would, would be more effective against, against clubs like that. But I mean, at the time post Oak's been, around, you know, when, when, when that happened, May Day post Oak's been around for years, prime hasn't been around as long, but, they clearly set the bar as the biggest and one of the you know, largest operations and, and, and one of the most professional operations we've seen. And so I don't think a letter would have, would have done, you know, any, anything. I think a letter is going to, you know, just start, start the, the fight, if you will. And, and well, yeah. It would have started a conversation. Yeah. Some type of dialogue between attorneys in that DA's office would have ensued and they would have said, look, you know, here's why we think it's legal. They would say, here's why we think it's not legal. And they, I mean, ultimately it would have come down to probably an ultimatum. You either close or we're going to come after you. But right. then it's, you know, it's, it's a little more civil, um, but that just didn't happen, which I, I, I would have thought if you would have asked me, you know, on, you know, the, the end of April, um, whether any club could get, was going to get raided, I would have said, no, I would have said they're going to reach out and say, Hey, we don't think this is legal. You need to start shutting, shutting down, um, coming in guns blazing, so to speak, or, or guns drawn, not blazing, but um, seemed a little overkill to me, but that's just my take on it. I mean, some people may disagree, but I just feel like it could have been handled in a much better. I mean, I'm talking about the actual act of shutting you down could have been handled much better. And it's interesting that the news cameras were literally there as it was happening. I mean, that, that, that probably was not an accident either. 
No, that definitely was an accident. And, and obviously, uh, what we saw in the news was way more interesting than a conversation that could have been had. I think the conversation just would not have made the 12 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and 10 o'clock news. And the Florida news. And the Florida news. <laughs> you got to get the Florida news. Come on. Yeah. Uh, well, excellent, guys. I mean, I, I think we're, we're at about a half hour. Um, is there anything else you guys want to cover on this one before we uh, wrap this one up? You know, I... I uh, I just want to say thank you to all the people who really uh, supported us that day. We got, uh, I had a huge, huge uh, wave of people calling me, texting me. Um, Somebody even offered to give me $20,000 to help me out because they thought all of our assets and money was seized. Uh, Luckily that didn't really happen. The, the, the county only seized our business bank account, which had literally a negative $20 in it. They had to put money in that account to, to make it whole and that was because we had just moved from the old location to the new location and pretty much spent all our money, you know, making that move. So I, it's incredible how many people, you know, you know reached out for support. And uh, I want to thank each and every one of those people for doing so. Thank you. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. It's, it's good to know when something like this happens, wh- whether you play in a social card club or the underground rooms or whatever it may be. I mean, there's, there, there is a lot of people that really support poker and want to see it succeed in this in the state of Texas. And so I think it's great that that happened. I mean, I can speak from a firsthand eyewitness out in Durant, Oklahoma on the series. There's a ton of support for card clubs out here. All the players, you know, majority are from Texas and they're all wearing their local card house gears. I mean, I've seen Kojak's gear. I've seen prime gear. Actually I've seen Texas card house gear. Like, and, and everybody comes together and likes talking about, Hey, what, where are you from Texas? Okay. What club do you play at? So so yeah, I think I think the support across the state is big enough that it's now traveling on the circuit, you know, in in Oklahoma and in Las Vegas and all, everywhere it goes. So I, I think that's great. No, absolutely. <clears throat> well, uh, I think with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, just as a reminder, you can actually uh, hear our, any of our podcasts. Uh, go to our website, uh, TexasCardHouse.com. Click on the podcast link at the top of the page and subscribe. Uh, and next week, uh, we look forward to uh, releasing another podcast. Where we will actually talk about those charges being dropped and kind of the, the fallout from that and actually dive into a little bit like what happened, like what was this case all about and really try to uh, get a peek behind the curtain of, you know, um, kind of what went down over the last month or so and, and, and what led to those charges being dropped. And um, with that, we'll go ahead and sign off. Uh, thank you, everyone, and have a good day.